This is Terrell Next on Neurotech, chasing breakthroughs from the bay to your brain. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Terrell Next on Neurotech. I'm your host, AJ Martinez. And for this first episode, I'll be talking to Casey Grage, who is the founder and CEO of Public Surgical Incorporated, as well as Mark Fisher, who has over 30 years of experience in product development. And in this episode, we talk a little bit about what it takes to be a founder of a company such as Hubly, especially in the medtech space, as well as some of the challenges that one might have to deal with if they're interested in exploring the medtech space. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome everyone. This is Terrell Next on Neurotech. I'm your host, AJ. And here I have the founder and CEO of Hubly Surgical Incorporated, Casey Grage and Mark Fisher. Hey everyone. Hi, Alex. Great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> thanks thanks for the opportunity alex yeah awesome so just to kind of start off i kind of want to get a little bit of an idea of your backgrounds and just um what brought you here to hubley yeah i what i i teach a uh a medical device entrepreneurship program uh class at uh, northwestern university and uh casey and the hubley team were part of that and i also have a, a deep background in medical device development for about the last 20 years, I, I split my time between teaching at Northwestern and consulting to various companies uh, around medical devices. And when the, the class was done, you know, there's, there's, there's usually one or two that uh, show real promise and uh, go forward in the process of uh, setting up a company and, you know, be, becoming a real company. And uh, Hubbley was one of those. And uh, they were also one of the one of the groups that I advised. So we went ahead and I continued relationship, you know, as they were considering whether to go forward or not. It's a product that can make a very big difference uh, to the safety of people that are having these procedures. So uh, I'm excited to be involved with it. Yeah. I mean, as Mark said, I came to Hubley through that NUvention class at Northwestern. Um, I was a neuroscience major undergrad. Um, and I was planning to go into a PhD in neuro um, and going more toward the academia research side. But I decided, or I was interested in maybe exploring some of the commercial impact of tech, not just creating or researching tech um, only. And so that's what drew me toward applying for and taking that class. Got it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And when you were uh, applying for that class, like, did you, um, what did that, like, your team consist of? Or, like, how did that, how did you come up with, like, your specific idea for Hubley? Yeah, it was actually Amit, my co-founder, who is a neurosurgeon at Northwestern, getting his MBA at night. Um, and he was the one who said that intracranial access, you know, drilling holes into skulls as it's performed today is super dangerous, really antiquated. He hates performing the procedures because, you know, he had done it like a hundred times in his life by that point. Um, yeah. And he was the one who said, I think there's a really big need here. People die needlessly and it's a horrible procedure. Right. Definitely. And this is more of a question for Mark. Um, actually, Casey, you can uh, chime in too if you feel like it. So what's it like running a course like Nuvention or any of these types of courses working with students who are developing these types of companies and ideas? Well, first thing is it's a lot of fun because especially with the class that uh, we have, it's, it's actually an application process. You know, there's, there's definitely more people interested in the class than, than we can let in. So, uh, 
some of the folks are, are downright intimidating. You know, they're, they're really smart the people for that class. What's the admissions rate? Um, it depends on the school. Um, less than 50% though. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. The admission rate is, is somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 50%. Cool. And then how'd you get involved in, in um, teaching that? Like what kind of pushed you to, towards to do that? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit unusual within, um, you know, the academic world is that my, my background is actually more in product development in industry. And I'm, I'm always interested in uh, classes that allow students to actually do projects as opposed to, you know, learning about how you might do, how you might do a project. Because I really believe that there's a lot more learning that occurs uh, actually, doing, actually doing a project and also interacting. I mean, one of the unique things about the class is that it's not just a bunch of engineers who are trying to figure this out. It's the teams consist of people that are from the engineering school, from the law school, the business school, and the medical school. So we have perspectives from what's that? And oh, you. and and you and you, and uh, occasionally we get people from the uh, from from Weinberg and the sciences, but uh, K- Casey can play a good engineer if she needs to, and. Uh, so we have a we have diverse uh, a diverse uh, backgrounds and uh, diverse skill sets, and that's really necessary for getting a startup off the ground. And have you noticed any like any obstacles when like starting off the class with like you know given all these different people you're bringing together, whether or not there's like a language barrier between what their what their expertise is in. Sometimes, sometimes there is, and to be fair, a, a lot of the people who apply, like from med school or the law school, they'll have a engineering undergrad. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there it, it's not quite as it's not quite as bad as you might expect with that. But the one thing that is really critical early on is to make sure there's a, a setting of expectations. Mm-hmm. For instance, some some students are taking it really wanting to start a company. Others mm-hmm. are taking it because they want to learn about starting a company and this is a class you do it in. So they may not be interested in going forward. So, you know, setting expectations about, you know, what your goals are for the class makes a huge difference because otherwise when you get to the end and they're starting a company and some people are interested and some people aren't, there's, you know, there's, there's discussions about ownership and, mm-hmm. you know, IP and all that. And you really want to get that straightened out early on. Yeah, definitely. You know, I actually... In our case, I'd say that we did a good job, I thought, in setting goals in the beginning, but the main thing was just that our goals changed over the course of a couple of years. You know, in the beginning, we were all on the same page that we all had plans post-grad, and we said, yeah, if this is really successful, maybe we would quit our jobs and do this full-time, but none of us were going to commit to that in ideation, Um, Mm -hmm. and we all had other things going on. So, you know, that was, that was, I guess... I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, even when you do set expectations, that's still kind of something you run into when it's a year and a half later, two years later, and you say, okay, now it's actually time to make these decisions that we didn't know about before. And, and Hubley's a good example. I mean, you've got, you've got people like, you got somebody like Casey, who's really doing this full time, you know, and you have, uh, you know, the, the, you have Ahmed who's, who's involved with it, but he's, you know, mostly doing his day job. And, you know, you have other yeah. people that aren't, you know, they they're they're involved at even a lesser level so i mean it just depends yeah. and alex for reference Ahmed's day job is 
being a neurosurgeon. So, yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. that, that's that's probably good to preface that. <laughs> a worthy, yeah, a, a worthy uh, day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and honestly, if if I'm it wasn't being out being a neurosurgeon, he wouldn't be nearly as valuable to the the company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we we want him to be a neurosurgeon. We want him living in that world, being up to date mm-hmm. with the latest technology and helping talk to all of his friends about us and definitely yeah. yeah that's awesome and um let's see yeah so when you're talking about this idea of like ideation or like deciding whether or not you want to move forward as a company what were like the steps after the class ended like actually like walk me through like what the typical class looks like oh gosh okay so Maybe, Mark, do you want to talk about what the class looks like, and then I can talk about how we decided to move forward? Sure. I, what, what, the, what the class looks like itself, there's, there's instructors from each of, the, um, each of the schools. All the teams, there's 48 people that we, we admit into the program, and the teams are, there's, there's eight teams, so six people per team. At least one person from each, uh, each school is represented on the team. And the very first thing that they're going ahead and doing is finding a problem because we don't assign them. It's we expect that the the medical students will help the rest of the team go out and basically find the problems. You know, go and shadow uh, a neurosurgeon, go and talk to you know the head of IT at Northwestern Hospital. You know, go out and and find some of those problems and really understand the problems. You know the the core user needs or the core uh, technical needs that are not being addressed today. So we're looking for unmet user needs. And uh, they will go ahead and normally come up with three different alternatives and then evaluate those. You know, look at those, you know, from a market standpoint, from a user need standpoint, from a development standpoint. And choose which one to go forward based on which one that they feel could be most successful as a, as a company. So I guess for us, what happened was the class ended in winter of 2018. Yeah, it was a fall 2017, winter 2018. So when the class ended, it wasn't like right away we decided, okay, this is a company, you know, we're, we're in, <laughs> we're, mm-hmm. we're going full force. Really what it was, was we went to the class, we had done some baseline market research we had done some prototype development a little bit you know like we had we had the beginnings of of something right and so the class ended and we said okay well the next step is it'd be pretty cool to get a patent out of this and so we have this idea fleshed out let's just go ahead and try to try to get a patent and so nate who is the law student and is now a patent lawyer on our team he said okay i'll do that and so you know, that was kind of, at the time I was like, wow, this is so cool. I took this class and now I'm going to have a patent. Like, that's crazy. So anyway, Nate filed the provisional. And then after that, we decided, okay, what would the next step potentially be? And we thought, oh, you know, let's, let's join the garage at Northwestern. That's the Northwestern incubator. Um, And so we were learning a little bit through that. It was like a good kind of extracurricular activity to learn a little bit more about entrepreneurship. And then we said, oh, there's so many pitch competitions. Wouldn't that be awesome if we actually won real money as a Mm -hmm. result of this class project? And so what happened was we started applying to pitch competitions. And through the application, you have to write out a a business plan and you have to make pro forma financials. And so that really forced us to actually 
think about what we would be as a real company. And then when you do the pitch competition, you get all this feedback from different judges and the judges tell you how to improve your company and your pitch deck. And so then you're saying, okay, well, might as well make these edits to my business plan. And then you just kind of keep going. And so what happened was we were really successful in the pitch competition circuit, won some money out of that. Um, and then, yeah, it was really just a few judges that we met who said, you know, this is the real deal. You, you need to go full time on this. This, this could be something. Awesome. And something I was, I was wondering was what's like some of the challenges of like learning the, the ropes of being an entrepreneur, especially since everyone has such a different background. Like what, what are some challenges that either you've experienced or that Mark or that you have seen in students when they're learning like what it's like to be an entrepreneur? So the hardest part for me was originally in that Anuvention class where I didn't know anything about SolidWorks and mechanical engineering. <laughs> and I had to, and it was Nate, the lawyer, and, and I who really needed to figure that out. And so that was a huge learning curve for me was just like very late nights in the basement of tech with the SolidWorks software trying to figure out how to do this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Beyond that, I mean, most of entrepreneurship, I feel like, is is just asking for help when you need it and listening to people when they are smarter than you. So it seems pretty incremental to me. Okay. Yeah, I, as I say, I think I can, I can throw into that, too, is that um, I, I think one of the things that it really takes, especially for a young entrepreneur, is to really seek out mentorship. And I think Casey did a really good job and also receive it, you know, so you need to be a very coachable person. If you're somebody who's, you know, you got that idea and you're going forward with it and you're not accepting any uh, feedback, you probably won't be successful. And honestly, I mean, I've been, I've been doing product development for 35 years and I'm always seeking feedback from people because, uh, you know, different people have different backgrounds and different uh, expertise. And the only way that you can make your idea better, whether it's a business or a product, is really by seeking that feedback and, and really taking it in and, uh, you know, changing your product for the better. Hmm. Yeah. And then I guess to the extent that I have to have skills here is pretty much just deciding who to trust. That's kind of it. You just kind of ask everyone, you know, what should I do? <laughs> and then you figure out who to listen to. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and um, I was curious, like, what kind of, like, how did your background, at least in, like, in neuroscience, and, um, and I think, I, I know I saw, like, on the website that you did, you worked for J.P. Morgan for a little while as a software engineer. How did that background help you, like, transition from, to go full-time into Hubley and just kind of working as a CEO? Um, yeah, I guess. So, I mean, I'm really now doing business and then to the extent mechanical engineering and I work with, you know, patent lawyers and corporate lawyers and accountants and stuff. So background in neuro and software engineering doesn't, isn't that relevant. I mean, mm -hmm. neuro to the extent that I can hold my own when I'm speaking to neurosurgeons and people in the neuro device space. I think the main thing it does is when I'm talking to, so, okay, I'll back up. I'm not, entirely convinced that you have to be smart to be a successful entrepreneur mm -hmm. um but there is a baseline where if people think that you're smart then that's helpful and so just by nature of saying like oh this is my background you know i graduated in three years and i was you know working this fancy corporate job people go oh okay so like you're technical enough you're smart enough 
and that's kind of the baseline. And so that's, that's mostly where I think it helps me. It's just kind of establishing myself as someone that people find trustworthy to hold my own. Have you also noticed that, Mark, with like other students or? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel that the most successful ones are the ones who uh, are smart, can communicate well, but also are, are smart enough to know what they don't know. Right. You know, and and go ahead and seek that seek that advice because, especially when you're first coming out of college, it's it's actually remarkable how little you know. I mean, you don't realize it until you actually get out into the real world. I'm sure Casey learned this. You know, it's, she's going out talking to accountants and lawyers and having to learn things very very quickly. And I think that's one of the one of the great marks of somebody who's going to be successful is somebody who can and embraces, you know, learning all this stuff because you, you've got to become a broad expert at all kinds of things. And the people who are, the people who, you know, that tend to go to do PhDs, you know, they want to be the ultimate expert at one thing, at one very narrow thing, rather than uh, kind of a, a more broad expert, maybe not quite as deep. And I think it's the, the people who are more broad that, um, and, uh, and coachable have the mm -hmm. most success. That's interesting you mentioned that. Um, well, because one, I, I just start, was reading a book called Range, was talking about this idea of like being like a, a more of a generalist when it comes mm -hmm. to like business or just anything in general. Um, so this is probably more of a question for Casey. Like, what made you decide to go from going for a PhD into deciding to okay, I'm gonna go for this company instead, and just kind of focus on that. Yeah, I think, so I mean, the reason that I decided to take the class to begin with mm -hmm. was, I think what happened was I had been really focused on academia research, you know, wet lab, pipetting, and I had an amazing lab experience. I still go to that lab's like Zoom happy hour on Friday. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was awesome. I learned a lot. Um, but I think I I realized I was a little bit frustrated with the pace of it, where you know, I was doing really fundamental Parkinson's and Alzheimer's research, but it was so fundamental that the overall goal was that, you know, you'd, you'd work your ass off for three years to ultimately publish a paper. And then over the course of decades, other labs pick up that paper and publish more papers. And then eventually a pharmaceutical company reads those papers and creates a therapeutic target. Um, and so what I realized was, you know, there's, that's super important work, but I, I think I, I wanted to be a little bit m more a part of the group of people that helps with the um, adoption of that technology into actually improving patients' lives and not just the initial creation of that tech. I think, I think one thing that's real interesting about what Casey real, just said is I, I also think that there, there needs to be an amount of passion for what you're doing. I mean, you know, like in, in, in the case of Hubley, I mean, it's, Basically, it's a hand drill that's you know you could pick up at a hardware store used for drilling holes and skulls. I mean that's crazy. He's talking and, about the existing uh, solution. <laughs> yeah, and you look at the complication rates, and uh, you know you know you can make a real difference. And I think mm -hmm. that I think when entrepreneurs have that kind of drive, saying, "Hey, I see a real problem, and I think I mm -hmm. can solve it," that makes a big difference on whether they're successful or not. Well, cool. that's what I was going to say is my second reason. So that whole academia spiel I just went on was why I originally thought of taking the class. Mm -hmm. but, the, but what made me actually decide to do Hubley full-time was just that it's a big problem, and I, 
I thought and still believe that we're on to something and that we could actually have impact. Right. Definitely. And for, and for Mark, I was curious, because I know that you're an advisor for, um, for Hubley and I think also on the board of directors, um, two questions. Why, what got you to do that? And what is your role exactly? And what does that look like? Well, I, th- I think there's a couple of, there's a couple of, the reason that I did it was uh, I really liked the group of people. I mm-hmm. thought they were smart and uh, I thought they, I, and I also thought that I had something to contribute to the, to the group longer term. Uh, I really believe in the, the, you know, the clinical need. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being, you know, much, much like Casey was saying, you know, be, being able to make a difference here is, is important. And I also knew that, you know, these folks coming right out of school, they may be really smart, but there's also, there's just holes in the, in their experience, which, you know, you would expect. And uh, I'm, I'm able to fill a lot of those holes. I know how things get manufactured. I know how to source product from, uh, you know, contract manufacturers. I understand how to go ahead and, uh, you know, apply for IRBs. I, you know, there's just stuff that I have done so many times that I can, uh, I can help these folks out to do that. And uh, mm-hmm. so between just having, having some knowledge that I, can, that I can give them and just them being lovely people to work with, um, yeah, that's, what, that's pretty much why you got involved. Awesome. And I was doing it, and honestly, I was doing it pro bono and, and you know, not, you know, for, for quite a while, for probably a year and a half, year, year and a half, something like that. Maybe even two years. Yeah, yeah just because I, I, thought that it, I thought it was important and I thought they were getting a lot out of it, so... I mean, I'll actually, so I'll add, I mean, the reason that we wanted Mark to be an advisor was because of everything you just talked about, where you really had value to add, and we need you and your, and your expertise. But then the reason that we wanted you to be on our board of directors was the fact that, you know, for two years, you so clearly were not in it for equity or for control. It was entirely selfless. And, you know, we said, wow, this is really, we're like, Mark, we all love Mark. We su- we really trust him, so it, it that that was what made us decide that <laughs> you really should should help us out to the max that you'll you will do it. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and um, this is a moral question for Casey. So, like, what what was like your process of like establishing Hubley as a company? Like, once you finished a class, and you know, we talked a little bit about like you know going to competitions, gain money, mm-hmm. but like all the technical legal legalese stuff that people don't like to talk about. (laughs) Oh gosh. Okay. So the first thing that I did was I started applying to startup accelerators and accelerators are their own companies that invest in super early stage startups. You know, like they give money in exchange for equity, but then they also give you programming and expertise and like a mini MBA um, for some amount of time. And so I said, you know, I'm a first time founder, I really would benefit from not just the investment, but also that help. And so I started applying to startup accelerators, I got into Alchemist Accelerator. And that was what that was what made me decide on the date that I was going to quit JP Morgan, Hmm. and move out to the Bay Area. Uh, So I did that. And it was through Alchemist, where basically, they were the ones who said, okay, so through Alchemist, we have discounts with all of these different companies. You can get free XYZ. You can get a 15% discount with these corporate lawyers. And so it was through them that I would say we really got established as a company. You know, that it was through them that I said, oh, you're right. I, I 
totally didn't think about how I'm going to need accountants and HR people. And so they, they were the ones who had like startup friendly companies that basically do that for you. <laughs> and so, and all sorts of discounts as well. Um, that was how I would say we really got established. And I, now we have everything figured out. I don't do any of our taxes or anything like that. It's all, <laughs> it's, all it's all these experts that are doing it for us. Um, and then we met through the accelerator before that though, bef- like half a year before we even joined Alchemist, it was Nate, who was our founding member, the patent lawyer I mentioned. Nate was the one who incorporated us and then found our first patent lawyers and corporate lawyers. Um, and Nate, Nate, I guess, heard of it through law school courses, but we just used this legal service site called Clerky, which is also really startup friendly. You like pay some small fee to use their services and then they have all these stock documents and you kind of, they, they like have like a step-by-step process of how to incorporate and things like that. Gotcha. And um, this is kind of like off topic. Like, and this is more related to like company itself and like how, what's like some of the challenges you face, especially with like such a niche topic of neurotech and talking about drills, like what's like a challenge of communicating that with um, people and talking and like you're saying about going to these different competitions and uh, presenting the idea to get funding. Um, well, I guess there's always a balance of how in te- technical depth we should be going, um, because there's a few different things going on. There's, you know, how, if I'm, if I'm presenting to neurosurgeons, then we can really go into depth with the kind of indications and exactly the problems that we're presenting. And if we're talking to engineers, then we can go into more depth with like how our plant prevention mechanism works. Um, but to generalists or maybe to like SaaS enterprise investors, which is most investors in the Valley, then I, I need to kind of back up a little bit and make sure that the whole story is presented well. So that's one thing. And then the other challenge, I guess, is just, um, I guess just the fact that med tech is always kind of its own thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) from other startups, you know, like med devices, especially we have our own investors, we have our own engineers, we're like our own subsect because it's, it's so specialized and niche that Mm -hmm. we need to kind of have our own people. Yeah. And I, I think to build on that, one of the, one of the real challenges with, with med tech startups is just that the time horizon is so long because Mm -hmm. the development takes longer and then you need to test it. There's FDA uh, approvals, you know, so the time horizon for these investors is, is much longer than say a, um, you know, developing a new uh, food delivery service. Mm. Yeah. No, I actually, I, I mean, that, that kind of comes up a lot where basically how, how venture capital firms work is that they have funds. And if a fund is like five years in, you know, in length, I guess, um, then if they make an investment in your company in the year three of their fund, you need to have a return on your investment before that fund closes, you know, a year and a half later. Um, And so, for med tech, and then I'd say especially for clean tech, um, you know, environmental things, it's it can be kind of tricky <laughs> working with VCs. Thankfully, we haven't gotten to that point yet because we've so far been going based on angel raises, and you know, angels mm-hmm. aren't beholden to the lifespan of a fund. And so, can you explain so, what an angel fund is for the listeners? Yeah, um, an angel is an individual. Uh, who invests in companies. And so in our case, because we're raising on a safe note, 
they have to be accredited investors. Um, and then you can also get money from angel groups, which is its own uh, organization of a bunch of angels, a bunch of individuals that come together to invest in companies with each other. And that way the angel group can write bigger checks instead of individual checks, but then it's those angels that get the returns. Got it. What are, what's some like, advice you'd offer for any young aspiring entrepreneur, especially in the med tech field? <laughs> Same thing we've been saying, just ask for help. Don't be cocky. You know what you don't know, which is nothing. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think the biggest, the biggest uh, thing is just to go in there with a lot of humility, you know, realizing that, you know, you know, a little bit about one of the subjects and you don't know a lot about all the other subjects you need to learn. So you bet you got to learn fast because there's just not that much time or money uh, with the startup. So work hard, work fast, work with humility, I guess. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on Turtlenecks on Neurotech. This is AJ signing out. 